Advent. Sometimes I get talking so fast, and then I see that word Advent, which is a, a good reminder to slow down. And so we're going to slow down a little bit. And part of slowing down at this season is to prepare. We, we look back and we celebrate the coming of Christ, the, the birth of Jesus, but we also look ahead for the second coming of Jesus. That's part of, of Advent. And we prepare. And, and the word this year that has stuck out to me again and again and again is to reorient that, that idea, reorient my heart and my life around the presence of God. How different would your life be if you were absolutely convinced that God was with you? Would your life be any different? And because of what Jesus did, his spirit was given to us so that God's presence is with us. God is with us. Is that amazing? I mean, that's the good news. Some of you haven't realized it yet. But it's good news that God is with us. He's with you and he's with me. Like there is nowhere that you can go to escape God's presence. And for some of us, uh, depending upon how we view God, uh, some, of that, some of that might create fear in us, but the reality is God wants it uh, to, to create a sense of peace and calm in our spirit, that his presence would bring because his, his presence does bring grace. Um, as we've talked about Advent, there's four themes um, that are traditionally a part of the Advent season. There's hope and peace. Last week, Cameron talked about joy. Uh, he talked about reminding our faces what we have down deep within us. I've got the... Where? <laughs> so some of you went to Bible school or Sunday school. Some of you are wondering what in the world is going on. You didn't hear music, you just heard singing. Uh, I, I'm one who sometimes struggles with uh, my face expressing that joy that's down deep. And, and Cameron last week, good reminder uh, about expressing that joy, not just having it, but expressing that joy. And the, the joy comes from a, a, a bigger perspective of God's presence in our lives Today, I want to talk about love, and love is a difficult theme because of the way we often view it. Let me walk through my, a little bit of my day yesterday um, and give you some sense of why it's difficult for us. Um, yesterday, yesterday morning, Robin and I got up, and we had coffee in the morning. How many of you love coffee in the morning? I just want to see. How many of you love coffee? Yes, you love coffee in the morning. So we had our coffee, and then I, I told Robin, I said, at some point, I wanna, we want to do our walk. We have a Saturday walk in the morning. It was beautiful out. We have a, a, a dog named Annie Mae, good southern name for a dog. And we decided, let's take our dog on a walk. And Robin, when she finished her coffee, she said, I'm ready to go for the walk. So we went for a walk yesterday morning. It was brisk. It was a little brisk out. A little chilly. How many of you love taking a walk in the sunshine? Maybe in the morning. Some of you enjoy that. Some of you don't enjoy that. Some of you love it. How many of you love it? How many of you love a walk in the morning? Yes, yes. And then yesterday, uh, through the day, we had some stuff to, to do. Uh, we had some cleaning. I mopped the entire house. How many of you love mopping? How many of you love mopping? <laughs> Me either. 
but I did. Robin did everything else. I just mopped. That's all I did. But I mopped, and then uh, as the mopping was, was finishing, uh, I decided just to turn the, the football game on. There was a football game. Uh, Minnesota Vikings came back from a huge deficit. How many of you love football, watching football? Not everybody, but some of you love watching football. Okay, I got it. You love it? And then um, our boys uh, were kind of bored in the afternoon, and we ended up going to play pickleball. And I, I enjoy playing pickleball. How many of you love pickleball? I know we've got some pickleballers in the room. There's a, like four of us. Okay, we can play. And then yesterday evening, we ordered pizza, and so we brought pizza in, and, and we ate pizza uh, as a family around the table. How many of you love pizza? Anybody love pizza? You love pizza. Um, how many of you love your children and grandchildren? How many of you love your children and grandchildren? So is there a difference between the way you love pizza or coffee in the morning and the way you love your grandchildren? Is there a difference? Now, some of you are wondering why I just walked through all of that. This is the difficulty with the word love in our language, is that why we dilute the concept of love. We dilute it. And so when we read about God's love in the Bible, so much of it is, is diluted of its power and its impact and the reality of what God chooses. Does that make sense? God doesn't love you like you love coffee in the morning. His love for you is so much deeper, so much stronger, so much wider. And this definition of love is, is, is probably a better biblical definition of love. It's a choice that we make to actively seek the well-being of another without expectation of any kind of return benefit. Like God chooses to love you even though you may choose to reject him. But he doesn't stop. He doesn't stop loving you even if you do reject him. Is that unbelievable? It's not like coffee, and maybe you have a bad cup, and so then you don't drink it the next day because, you know. So one of my, one of my sons had COVID, and he was a coffee drinker prior to COVID. He had COVID, his taste changed, and now coffee makes him gag. He cannot drink coffee anymore, which I told him that's, that's a gift from God, actually, because <laughs> it's expensive. Coffee's expensive. So, so he now rejects coffee. So God's love for us is not like our love for the things in life that we have. God's love is, is and, and so we, we tend to dilute the message of what we read in, in Scripture because of our challenge with the Word. And so I want, us, I want to try to dig in a little bit deeper to this concept, and I want us to, to try to grasp what God wants us to grasp when he sent his one and only son into the world to be abused and killed on our behalf. I mean, it's unbelievable if you think about it. So um, one of my favorite readings of the, the Christmas story, I tell you this every year, you get tired of me saying this, and I'm just hoping you forget from year to year that I tell you that it's one of my favorite, but it's John's telling of the gospel, and this is the, the key verse of, of, of John chapter one, so the word, and he's talking about Jesus here, Jesus became human and made his home among us. Jesus, who was God, has always existed, 
made a decision, a conscious decision, to step into the world in which we live, to become human, to move into our neighborhood. And here's John's description of Jesus, is that he was full, in fact, let's say this together. I want to make sure you, you, you get this. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Now, just those two descriptors of Jesus are so very important. And one of the reasons that's so very important is because Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And so many of us wonder who God is and what is he like. God, at his core, is unfailing love and faithfulness to you and to me. And that is good news, my friends. This is the story of Christmas, is that the God of the universe, and this is so difficult for us, and I understand it's, it's difficult for me too, because we, are, we, are, uh, we, we, we want scientific proof for everything, and so we look at this world and we say, I want scientific proof. Uh, maybe there's a being out there that created everything, but it's so difficult for us to, to, to grasp that. And here's where it makes sense to me is that I have deep within in, in my being, I have a need for relationship. Like, and you have that too. Now, I'm an introvert. I, I lean introverted. Any introvert, introverts unite? Yes. You, even introverts, have this deep need for real relationship. Where does that come from? Where do you think that need comes from? It comes from a creative God who knit us together, and that creative God is also a relational God who doesn't just stand at a distance but actually comes to, to be with us. That's the story of Christmas, and it helps me connect the dots so often when I, when I think of a disconnected God creating the world, and listen, all of us have faith in something, even if you don't believe in the God that we read about in Scripture um, you have, some of you might say, well, I don't believe in anything. There's nothing out there. And I would say, well, that, that takes a step of faith. Like it takes a step of faith that, to, to believe that there's nothing out there. So all of us have faith. The question is, what is our faith in or who is our faith placed in? And, and it makes sense to me as you begin to look at all, all that's out there, all that we have, all the evidence, and it just makes sense to me that, that there's a creative God who is very relational, and so then the, the pieces of Jesus begin to fall into place because if there's a relational God, he wants to relate to us, and so he's full of this unfailing love and faithfulness to be with us. Now, when God introduces himself at the beginning of the Bible, it's so interesting, those two words, unfailing love and faithfulness, they come from the Old Testament describing who God is. This is God revealing himself to Moses, and he says, I am the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger, full of unfailing love and faithfulness. This is God describing himself to us. The same words that, John used to describe Jesus is the phrase that God used to describe himself. And for me, when I read scripture and I have trouble understanding this God, I look at Jesus. If you want to know who God is, like just look at Jesus. 
He is the picture, the human picture we all need to understand who God is. And at the core of who God is, is unfailing love and faithfulness. Now listen, even if it's difficult for you to understand or believe in a God, doesn't that sound incredible that you would have a being with unfailing love for you specifically and who is faithful to his promises for you? Doesn't that just sound amazing? It sounds too good to be true because we know human relationships, and if you hurt me, Taylor, if you keep hurting me again and again, eventually, like, I'm not going to give you an opportunity to hurt me anymore because I'm going to stand at a distance. That's our human response to one another. God's response is not that. He's full of unfailing love and faithfulness to the relationship even when we're unfaithful. It's just mind-blowing. I mean, I love pizza. I love pizza. I love pizza. I told Robin, I could have pizza almost every day of the week. Just put some different stuff on it. Like one day put barbecue sauce and pineapple. See, I talk about pizza and and I get that kind of response. I talk about God's love and it's like silence. And it's in that that I realize we don't really understand how much God loves us. Because if, if we did, we would come with so much joy into this place to realize we have a God that never turns his back as much as we turn our back on him. He never quits. Is that unbelievable? It is, it is like God's, God's love and commitment to you is so much greater than your love and commitment for barbecue sauce and pineapple. I can't even believe that's the thing that I said that like sparked the most interest in the room. I hope Robin writes down, this Christmas Eve, pizza on the floor, barbecue sauce and pineapple. That sounds so good right now. I don't even know where I am anymore. We, we sang about, in the first song um, this morning, we sang about a, a verse that's probably the most famous verse in the Bible, and it's in John chapter 3, and it says this, this is how God loved the world, or for God so loved the world, so this is... This is what God did because of his love. This, God was motivated out of love to do this. What did he do? He gave his one and only son. There is this, uh, when, we, when we love something, we're, we're, we're willing to give. There's self-sacrifice to, to give. He gave his one and only son. Anyone who would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life and God did not send his son into the world to judge the world. This is such good news. Like God did not send his son into the world to condemn you. If you could just get it right. I mean, I've been waiting for you to get it right. But in, like, God sent his son to save the world, to redeem and restore what was the relationship that was broken because of us, not because of him. Like, that's why Jesus came. That's, that is the heart of Christmas. And listen, if you're going to fade off at some point and, and um, drift off, just get this. At the heart of the Christmas story is God's unfailing love and faithfulness to you and me. 
And that cannot be stopped. There is nothing that can stop that. And John, yeah, yeah. And John, in his, in his writing to us, this story, because he wanted everyone to know this, in his writing, he, he talked about, I'm, I'm, I'll probably talk about this uh, this coming week. I'm going to go ahead and tell you anyway. That it's a light in the darkness. Jesus is a light in the darkness. And the darkness cannot extinguish that light. The darkness cannot extinguish the love, unfailing love and faithfulness that God has for you. And that's the story of Christmas. And it's awesome to talk about the birth of Jesus and the nativity and the, the angels. I mean, all that's miraculous and unbelievable. And we should. We should read the whole story. But at the heart of it, if we don't grasp that, that the whole idea of Christmas is that God wanted to be with us to restore a relationship with us, we just miss it all. We just miss what Christmas is all about. And giving, here's what I love about Christmas, is that when we give gifts to one another, sometimes we think that's all the commercialization of Christmas and sometimes we're a little, no, no, giving gifts is a reflection of what God did for us. Giving gifts for us can be a, an amazing mirror of what God did. And so when you give gifts this season, do so with this heart of self-sacrifice and do so hoping to mirror what God did when he gave his son. Isn't that so cool about Christmas morning? Hopefully you'll never see that the same way again because when you give that gift, you're doing exactly what God did out of love. Like that's, that's what our heart should be at Christmas is giving. Now, this is where the traditional pastor in me wants to pass the plates and talk about giving. <laughs> no, no. So I really believe this, that God could have declared, he could have simply declared his love from the heavens. God stood, he could have stood above and with the angels or with his voice in some way simply declared his love, which would be awesome. But God chose, he made a decision not to just declare his love, but to display his love through humility, through self-sacrifice, through selflessness, and through compassion, through his very presence, God's presence. Um, you know, when, when, we're, when we're young, like we think all about the gifts of Christmas, like what's going to be under the tree? We pick up boxes and sometimes we shake them because we want to see how heavy they are. We had our staff Christmas party and we had a big table of gifts and people would walk up. We did this little game kind of thing and they would pick up the box and they'd kind of shake it. You know, when you're younger, it's all about the gift. What's the gift? Now, some of you could, could preach this so much better than me. As you get older, the gift is the presence of your kids and your grandkids coming, choosing to come home to be with you, isn't it? That's, that's, all that, that's all that matters. When you have kids, the joy is not in what your kids give you because they give you jack squat. <laughs> the joy, I can't even believe I just said that. Robin's gonna get on to me. The joy is not in the gifts that your kids give you. The joy is in the presence, the presence of the kids being there. And this year, Robin's parents are, are traveling from Florida. They haven't traveled since um, 2019, other than to get out of the way of a hurricane that was coming through their area. Um, they, haven't, they haven't traveled since 2019. And so um, th them 
on a plane today coming to be with us is all the present we need from them. It's just being with them. Like that's the joy of Christmas, right? And that's what God chose to do through Jesus is to, to be with us. He could have just declared it, but he wanted to display it in his presence. I love that about the Christmas story. So Paul, writing about this very thing, he asked the question, can anything ever separate us from that kind of love? Is there anything that can separate us from Christ's love? Does it, does it mean that he no longer loves me if, um, if I run into trials or if I have health concerns, or if I'm diagnosed with something, or I lose my job, or I financially run into a really difficult moment, or somebody walks out the door on me, like, does that mean that God no longer loves me? And, and Paul declares, no. No, no, no. Despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And that passage in itself is powerful, but Paul doesn't even quit writing because there's something in him that like wants other people. So he says, I am convinced that nothing, listen, look at this, look at this. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Listen, there is nothing that can separate you from God's love that is made known in Christ Jesus. And I want to declare that over you, but more importantly than that, I want you to receive that love. There is nothing that can separate you from God's love. Not death or life, angels or demons, fears for today, worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell themselves, and some of you are walking through hell, not even the powers of hell themselves can separate you from the love that God has for you and was made known through Christ Jesus. That is the story of Christmas. There's nothing, there's nothing that can keep you from God's love. And I... I want to learn to receive that just more and more and more and live in that truth. I don't want to just hear it. I want to live in that truth because it changes everything. It changes the way that I interact with you. It changes the way that I, I'm a husband and a parent. And it, One day it'll change the way I, I grandparent. I want to live in that. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project. If you don't know the Bible Project, you should. This next year, that should be one of your resolutions. Eat more cookies and find out about the Bible Project. <laughs> those, those things. Um, I want to, Tim Mackey was talking about um, kind of faith and, and the, con the context of love. And um, I want to take just a, a moment to walk through this thought that he had, because I think it's important for us uh, to, to try to grasp this. He says, Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for the world. So, Mackey is saying that, that the Christian faith is this trust that at the center of everything, at the center of, 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 the, of the universe, is a being who's simply overflowing with love which means that our purpose, like what are we, what are we to do as humans? What are, what are we to be about? That at the start of that, the, the foundation of that, is to simply receive this love that is overflowing from the, the God at the center of the universe. And this has come to us in Jesus. And then 
once we begin to receive that love, then to give it back out to others so that we, the kingdom of God, the church, the followers of Jesus, are creating an ecosystem, if you think about this, like this self-perpetuating ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. Isn't that an interesting take on, on the concept of Christian faith and the idea that we simply are trusting. It's this simple trust that at the center of everything is, is a being, God, who's overflowing with love. And as humans, we simply receive this love that's made known through Jesus and then give it back out to others by the way that we live. And we create this, this eco, ecosystem, this kind of self-perpetuating system. Now, here's, here's the challenge, is that we often declare our love for other people, which we should do. We should declare our love. In fact, I've been learning more and more about this. Um, for so long, it was weird for me to tell a friend that I loved them. You know, like, I don't know why. Is it a guy thing? Oh, I guess so. <laughs> that was quick. <laughs> is it a guy thing? All the women, yes. It was weird for me, like, with my, with my guy friends, you know, after we golfed or watched a game or whatever, and they were leaving, you know, you kind of give them the hand slap and the quick, like, one slap hug. That's what we can do. And it's like, see you later. And, and it took me a while, but now I, I, I say, I love you. Like, and it feels awkward at times, but it's important to declare your love. Guys. Come on, loosen up a little bit and let other guys know what's going on. You care for them. It's okay. We often declare our love, which is really important. We should declare our love. But more important is that our love is made known. Look, through our presence, and our presence brings humility. Our presence should bring um, kind of a selflessness and a genuine compassion for other people. Does, does that make sense? Like, we declare our love, but, but then, by looking at the model of, of God's love and, and Jesus coming, we do that same thing. Um, I love this. So, I love pizza. I love this. Bob Goff, any of you know Bob Goff? Hey, look, I, I read this. I thought this was perfect. Don't save up love like you're going to retire on it. Give it away like you're made of it. Like some of us are holding back. He's like, stop holding back. You're not going to retire on love. Give it away like you're made of it. Because you can be if you live in it. If you receive God's love, you can, you can give it away like, like it grows on trees. <laughs> so here are three questions for you to just wrestle with. What does love compel you to do? What does love compel me to do? Like, what, like that love, that, that kind of biblical love, what, what does it compel me to do um, what does it require of me? There's some, I think, requirements to love when we, when we love other people. And what does it motivate in me towards other people? Like, what is love when, when, I'm, when I'm starting to, 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 to give it back out? So I'm receiving God's love. But when I start to give it back out, what's it compelling me to do? And listen, when we understand this, when we grow in this, when love is planted deep within us, it just changes everything. It changes the way that we, 
we talk about our perspectives, our opinions. It changes the way that we truly listen to other people and their perspectives and their opinions. It changes the way we relate to those who cut us off on Violinda, because <laughs> everybody's going that way nowadays. It just changes the ways that we live life because love compels us in certain ways to treat other people differently. When, when Jesus said, love your enemies, and then he showed us how to do it because he laid down his life, he let them kill him. When, when Jesus says, love your enemies, he's not just saying to declare your love for enemies, to tell everybody that you love them because that's the easy way out. It's easy to say, I love those people on the other side of the political spectrum to me because I love everybody. If I generalize it enough, I can love everybody. I just love everybody. When Jesus tells us to love our enemies, he's telling us to do something in a way that promotes other people's well-being without expecting anything in return. That's a game changer. Um, Mother Teresa, she said this, it's Christmas every time we let God love others through us. Isn't that an interesting thought? That Christmas is reignited every time we are compelled to love other people, to do something out of that love. Like every time we let God love other people through us, when we give gifts, when we help someone, when, we encourage, when you encourage, simply encourage someone, that's Christmas. And... Um, one of the greatest challenges of, of our current moment in the world is that we're so busy. Love is a second thought. And, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Um, I think we started this series with this, this thought from John Mark Comer. Um, practicing, he's a part of practicing the way. He says this, that love, joy, and peace are at the heart of everything Jesus is trying to grow in the soil of your life. Like God wants to grow love in the soil of your life and my love, life. But it's completely incompatible with hurry. Like hurry just removes our capacity to truly love other people. And our world is in such a hurry, isn't it? You're in a hurry, I'm in a hurry. Hurry up and get those gifts Hurry up and get things together. Hurry, 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 hurry. Which then disintegrates our capacity to experience peace, joy, and love, which is what Jesus wants to do in the soil of each of our lives. So, Father God, um, we, don't, we, we can't even fathom your love for us, the, the, the depth, the height, the breadth. We, we can't even comprehend how much you love us. You used those two phrases to describe it. You said, full of, you're full of unfailing love and faithfulness. God, I, I pray that you would help us to comprehend just a, a small portion of what that means. God, when, when we... This week as we approach um, Christmas Day, 
I pray that we would see Christmas with a, with a new lens. I pray that we would see Christmas as, as your desire to enter into relationship, your desire um, to be faithful to your promise, your desire to love us in an unfailing way. You just don't ever give up. God, that's unbelievable. And God, as you are overflowing with love, as we're receiving that love, I pray we would learn to love others, that every gift that we give during this season, we would simply see it as a reflection of you. God, give us grace in that. Give us joy in that. It's, it's, it's the greatest story ever told. God, thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing one last song, and, and we're going to give you the opportunity to just take some time. And uh, there's candles in the back of the room. Light represents God's presence, and maybe you want to light a candle and just simply ask God to be with you. Maybe you want to light a candle for a loved one and say, God, we, I just pray that your presence would surround them. Uh, there's communion. Maybe you want to take communion and be reminded of God's great love through the sacrifice of Jesus, his body broken, his blood poured out for you. We just want to give you some space to respond and worship. Let's do this together.